Today, Pro Se is brought to you by Zyra.com. If you're looking for new clients, check out Zyra.com, where clients find, book, and meet with lawyers every day. There's no subscription fee to join. Sign up simple, and it takes less than 10 minutes. Zyra.com lets clients find you, allowing you to spend more time on billable tasks and growing your business. That's Zyra.com, X-I-R-A.com. Welcome to Pro Se, Law360's weekly podcast. I'm your host, Amber McKinney, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Bill Donahue. Hello, hello. And Alex Lawson. Hi, guys. How's it going? Oh, guys. Summer is officially over. We just came back from the Labor Day holiday. Did you guys do anything fun? Any well, last summer stuff? You know what sucks is that, I mean, not just in New York, but in, in, in all big cities, there's always like a little bit of a death rattle for the summer where it's sure. like... A couple of a uh, couple of weeks of decent weather, and you can go out and hang with your friends and do and like just 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 give it one last go. Sure, and that's of course you know radically constrained these days, and that just makes it even more depressing. Um, luckily, I don't. I, uh, none of us have kids. We don't have to deal with going back to school or any of that. True. But, yeah. No, and and the thing you always love is those first those first few weeks of September where football's getting started, and uh, you know. But that, so that's a good that's actually a good place to to segue us yeah. to what we're talking about today, which is um, you know we're excited for football. It starts tonight, and uh, so we decided to make an entire segment about it. Even Amber is excited. You we we we, you we can what? see the look on okay. her face. I, I often say on the show that I'm not into sports, it's no secret, but I am kind of excited to talk about this because whenever there are lawsuits about popular things, I, I find that, you know, interesting. I think it's it's uh, sort of the connection of worlds is the part I like about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so so we're breaking that, we're breaking down a bunch of different um, football lawsuits that were filed during the offseason or big rulings that came no down off-season during the for off-season. litigation. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but first, I think we have uh, a couple of interesting news stories. Uh, the first one involves Whole Foods, right, Alex? Yes. Uh, the first one, and it's not only does it involve Whole Foods, it it, it kind of marries two of the biggest ongoing news stories, which is basically the the response to COVID nineteen, and then of course the the, the various ongoing fights uh, against racial injustice. Um, and uh, it all kind of gets wrapped up into this workplace discrimination claim. So not too long ago, we saw a class of Whole Foods employees that sued the company for forbidding them from wearing Black Lives Matter face masks, COVID uh, face masks, uh, while they're on the job. That case was filed at the end of July, but it's moved pretty quickly, and both sides have made some substantive arguments already, and we're seeing you know, basically the contours of what could be a really long and interesting legal fight. So it's a, a very interesting case. Yeah, I'm already intrigued by this one, Alex, because like you said, it sort of brings together racial justice, COVID issues, all in one um, legal package here where there's fighting about this. So give us the rundown of what happened. Yeah, so what we've got here is basically it's a it's a class action that was filed by, uh, I think it started with 14 Whole Foods workers in Massachusetts. I think some other plaintiffs have since joined in. Um, but they say that the company took several like retaliatory actions this summer when workers began wearing face mask that, that said Black Lives Matter or BLM, similar messages uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic. 
Um, the store, uh, this is all kind of alleged in the complaint. They said that they basically sent these BLM masked workers home early. They issued kind of disciplinary points, like sort of demerits against them. Uh, and in one case, the, the suit claims that they actually fired the worker who organized the mask wearing at this store. Um, and the workers say that while uh, it's true that Whole Foods does have a dress code that prohibits like political slogans or logos, that policy is basically never enforced. They cite examples of employees wearing items that promote LGBTQ rights and things like that, that the company basically never has anything to say about. And they say sort of it was it was only when there was a concerted effort among the workforce to wear the Black Lives Matter masks that the company began to enforce the dress code. And the workers basically say in this proposed class action that that violates very basic anti-workplace racial discrimination provisions in Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. And what I think, what I think is so interesting here is that it's a it's a political layer laid over something that shouldn't you know it's not like they're wearing masks that say Republicans or Democrats on it. It's yeah, it's, which is why I think it's interesting that you made that comparison to the LGBTQ thing that you have like th- that it's this it's it shouldn't be political or or it it might not be political to certain people but it has this the, it has become part of our sort of never-ending uh, yeah war of politics in this yeah. country but so right, it's like when does social is- issue spill over into political issue right exactly yeah. so but what does uh, whole foods say in terms of the the actual legal arguments here in terms of this lawsuit yeah like i said the, the, the suit was filed in july and just to maybe to, to, to catch us up to now there's a number of pending motions the workers have asked for an injunction whole foods and amazon have asked for uh have asked for a dismissal um, and those those motions are pending. None of those have been decided. But sort of in those requests, you can see the outlines of how the case will break down. And we've already kind of alluded to it with we're going to we're going to sort of deal in how, you know, statements about identity sort of veer into, you know, actions that are protected under anti-discrimination laws. So but as far as what Whole Foods says in its in its many responses to this complaint Hopefully says, just as a factual matter, it completely rebuts the uh, the allegation that it fired anyone over the mask issue. It said that the firing that the, that is cited in the complaint was due to that worker's like unexcused absences and is separate from the mask issue. But more squarely on the merits, Whole Foods Whole Foods is really kind of preparing to dig in on a very serious Title VII fight here and what it means to discriminate on the basis of race. They are saying. We have this very clear dress code on the books, and we are enforcing it. Um, and that because that they have disciplined workers that are both white and black, um, the the idea that you know there is a discrimination case kind of falls apart right there. They say we are not discriminating against workers based on their race because we have sent we have we have disciplined both white and black workers for doing this. The company basically said that the lawsuit is, quote, expanding Title VII from an employment discrimination law into a platform for public speech about broader social issues. So you can kind of see where we're going here. The company is is pointing to the race of the employees who have been disciplined, while the workers are pointing to the subject of the message that is, you know, drawing the discipline, and that is inherently racially based. Like, saying Black Lives Matter is a statement about racial inequality. The workers, uh, uh, they had a a response to a Whole Foods brief last month that said the company, quote, cannot abstract race from the equation. They're saying if you are sending someone home wearing a Black Lives Matter mask, that is a race-based action. And we we don't think that's right. 
I think it's going to be really interesting to track this one. So um, what are we expecting next? Like what's sort of the posture where where are we going from here? So the workers want the suit to proceed on an expedited track. They're saying that if Whole Foods continues to enforce this ban, which they don't want to abide by, they're going to be forced out of their jobs. Um, Whole Foods is fighting whether or not that's necessary. But there was a little bit of a uh, funny development last week. They were having a scheduling conference when the Massachusetts federal judge who's hearing the case is named Allison Burroughs. And she just kind of was speaking ex- speaking extemporaneously. And she said that this is the type of lawsuit that's probably pretty amenable to a quick settlement because she thinks that long discovery is just going to amount to a he said, she said about the nature of how this policy is enforced. And it led to a pretty interesting uh, exchange with the lawyer uh, for Whole Foods, who is named uh, Michael Banks of Morgan Lewis. Uh, after the judge raised this thing about, I think a settlement might be in your guy's best interest here. Or not best interest. They, she, she just thought it's the kind of case that probably ought to settle. She said, with all due, uh, the, the, the lawyer for Whole Foods said, with all due respect, Your Honor, I think the court is mistaken. I don't think Whole Foods and, Am- and Amazon have an interest in modifying its dress code. I think they will have it litigated. And then the judge said, if I had a different job, I would make you a bet on that. Uh, so, <laughs> well, first of all, I just want to say bravo to Judge Burroughs for knowing that it's not appropriate for a judge to, to wager on, on litigation. So, so we thank her for that. Um, but it seems pretty clear, I mean, at this early stage that Whole Foods is ready to take it to the hilt. And there's some very interesting questions that it asks about uh, the nature of race-based discrimination. So we just had a story that pairs two really big systemic problems we're dealing with right now, which is racial issues in the country and also the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, I want to hearken us back to this time last year and talk about another big crisis that has sort of been pushed down by those more pressing um, issues right now, and that's the opioid crisis. Yeah, mm-hmm. that 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 huge scandal that is totally resolved. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, which, and is not easy, at all sad. It's easy to have lost track about some of these things because we had so many big events in 2020. But yeah, the nation's opioid crisis, as everyone probably remembers, it led to a bunch of litigation. We've talked about it on this show before, and even some really big proposed settlements to that litigation. And um, there's one possible deal I want to talk about today that's facing pretty significant pushback because there are fears that it could actually create a whole new set of problems in the pharmaceutical industry and in the fight against opioid addiction. Yeah. Um, The settlement is with drug maker Teva. They've offered to settle thousands of these opioid crisis lawsuits by donating enough opioid dependence drugs to satisfy most of the U.S. demand for about 10 years. Mm -hmm. And that's getting pushed back by some attorneys general that are part of these suits and some other groups that say it could actually just crush an important part of the pharmaceutical industry that's developing these kinds of drugs. Yeah, so we're talking here about the drugs that are used to treat opioid dependence, which can be a little confusing because we're talking about drugs that are used to to treat addiction to other drugs. And we're also talking about the same company using one to pay for the uh, alleged wrongdoing regarding the other. So, you know, it's the the listener would be forgiven if they are if they are confused. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you guys cleared that up right at the top, because it is sort of like a nesting set of situations we're talking about here. Um, But let me actually just do kind of a reset on the the settlement itself and the suits that gave rise to it. So um, people might remember that states and a bunch of other municipalities, cities and counties, filed about 3,000 suits against various pharmaceutical companies over the opioid crisis. Most of the suits essentially say drug makers and the drug distributors knew that opioids were addictive. 
Um, but they flooded the markets anyway. And that led, of course, to damage to these cities and states where um, they had to treat these people. They had to have law enforcement coming out and dealing with problems. So they're looking for money to cover health care costs and law enforcement costs that resulted from this behavior. Um, about a year ago, so this is back in October of 2019, yeah. four attorneys general unveiled a proposed $48 billion settlement to end most of these suits against a few groups, including Teva, Johnson & Johnson, and some distributors. So it was McKesson, Cardinal Health, and Amerisource Bergen, which are the big drug distributors in the country. Mm -hmm. Under this deal, Teva would donate $23 billion in drugs. That's these ones that fight opioid addiction. Right. And pay $250 million in cash over 10 years. So that would resolve, as you and Bill were sort of explaining to make it clear, they would donate drugs that fight opioid addiction to resolve claims that um, their generic oxycodone was illicitly marketed and distributed um, improperly, along with a couple of fentanyl-based um, uh, pills that they also distribute. Settlements to big lawsuits like this come in all shapes and sizes. And I mean, it sounds strange at first to say that this company is going to be, you know, donating most of the settlement is going to be coming in the form of their own drugs. But, you know, you could see benefits to both sides. But I but I, I from from your intro, it sounds like we're talking about this from the context of people have a problem with this kind of settlement. Yeah. So uh, there's a few things I want to talk about here. For starters, the deal itself, not just with Teva, but with uh, Johnson & Johnson and the other distributors I mentioned, there's a bunch of attorneys general and MDL plaintiffs that are part of this litigation who've said the deals are just inadequate on the face of it, that the scope of the opioid problem is so large that the pharma companies are really trying to get off the hook here for far less than what they should be doing. Yeah, there's an assertion um, that it doesn't go far enough. Yeah, um, which is so that, which, which kind of always happens when when companies settle stuff like this compared to like what exactly people are right. striving for. Yeah, so that one's sort of the expected yeah. response. Yes. Um, in some ways, but then we get to this more nuanced one that that Bill sort of teased there, where it is an unusual thing where somebody's like, "Oh, well, let me just give you this other thing we make." That'll be fine, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it um, feels like a coupon or something. It's a weird, <laughs> it but with like huge uh, national health policy stakes. So Teva said that it's going to donate $23 billion worth of what is the most popular anti-addiction drug. Mm -hmm. And and the pushback here is that it will make it basically impossible, according to some of these attorneys generals and, and other um, groups that watch the pharmaceutical market, it'd make it almost impossible for other pharmaceutical companies to sell similar drugs. Mm. And basically that means it'll eliminate all the comp competition. There'll be no incentive for those other companies to research new addiction treatments um, that could, you know, some new treatments could be safer or uh, have better medical outcomes. So all of that will sort of be undercut by this settlement. It does feel weird to punish a company by allowing them to move $23 billion of their goods uh, to into the market. Uh, and not just move it into the market, essentially like cut out the competition who will just stop researching this and stop doing it all together. It almost puts them in a better market position, you know, 10 years from now or whenever the supply that they've, they've offered runs out. Um, so... We had one Ohio attorney general. His name's David Yost. He's a Republican from a state that's been really hard hit by the opioid epidemic. Yeah. He opposes this deal. And he told Law 360 that, you know, this this proposal to give these drugs isn't great. And, and here's what he said. 
That level of a commitment would, in essence, eliminate the competitive market for any of these products and for future development of any future products. Because who's going to pay a dime for anything when you can get it for free? Yeah. Well, I mean, nothing will get the nothing will get the attention of policymakers uh, like when you start talking about giving away drugs for free. Um, but the thing is. You know, every big settlement like this has has like usually has some measure of like remedial quality. But as Bill was kind of saying, like we're getting into the point where like through litigation and through the ending of litigation, more precisely, you're trying to like craft huge policy responses. And I can definitely see why that would give some people pause. Um, everyone should read Jeff Overly's story on this. He 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 goes through some like there's lots of like letters from to and from Congress people and like yes. lobbying disclosures. It, there, there's a lot of irons in the fire uh, on this, and if you can, if you have the the chance to read it, uh, you definitely should. But where do we, where do we basically go from here? I mean, this is this is making some yeah. people uncomfortable, but it's like the situation is in motion. What's it what, what's is, going and on? and I'm glad you referenced Jeff's piece, which is really great. Um, one of the things I wanted to point out, just that it's not just attorneys general speculating that um, other pharma companies will get out of the market. Other pharma companies are worried too, and Jeff sort of outlines that in his in his mm -hmm. article. Um, one drug maker in particular is Indivior. They sell one of the best known versions of this um, opioid uh, addiction treatment drug. It's called Suboxone. In its most recent annual report, it said that some of the examples of risks it faces in the coming months are to sales of Suboxone because of this potential deal. Yeah. So companies are kind of bracing for this in the market. And so I think the pushback may only continue to grow as more attorney generals and the companies, other competitive companies themselves speak out about the impacts here. Um, there's also a broad concern that if this donation does happen and the opioid epidemic continues to grow in America, which right now in the middle of coronavirus Things have actually gotten worse in terms of people who are addicted to um, painkillers yeah. of all types. So there is some indication it could get worse that the, the supposed 10 year supply might not actually last that long. But in that time, if all the other companies stop producing these drugs, we may actually face a shortage of the drugs that could treat the, the opioid epidemic. Um, but all of this is up in the air because this is just settlement talks and proposals. Whether the settlement comes together is really a big question mark right now, not just from this pushback, but I think I said a little earlier yeah. that um, the plaintiff's attorneys for the MDL and um, some of the attorney general parties there have already said that this is not a big enough potential settlement to move forward. So the ball's really in, in Teva's court here. One of the plaintiff's attorneys in the MDL um, told Law 360 that last year they just deemed the settlement to be too small. So it's really up to Teva to see if they can come back with another offer. Are you looking for new clients? Check out Zyra.com where clients find, book, and meet with lawyers every day. Zyra.com. That's X-I-R-A.com. There's no subscription fee or cost to join. Sign up is simple and takes less than 10 minutes. Zyra.com lets clients find you, allowing you to spend more time on billable tasks and growing your business.
for our main story this week, we are talking about football. Hit the Carrie Underwood, Steve, because I have been waiting all day for Thursday afternoon to talk about <laughs> football litigation with my friends. Football is the last of the four major sports to uh, to get back into this weird pandemic sports world that we're in. It was the only one that really didn't have anything uh, disrupted. I mean, baseball was about to kick off when this yeah. all went down. It was in the middle of spring training. Football is the only one that really just missed it, you know, missed the worst of it. And they now the is long trying runway, to just exactly. by the timing. Yeah. So we'll see how it goes. The uh, the NFL season kicks off tonight with the uh, the Kansas City Chiefs taking on the Houston Texans. It's yes, ten so, point favorites. The Chiefs at home. So I don't really care about the actual football stuff, Bill. I want to get to the sweet sweet lawsuits. That that good good. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, the league is always very involved in, in uh, litigation. We have talked about it on many occasions on the show for a variety of reasons. Um, but, uh, you know, I wrote a story this week looking at all the different litigation from the off offseason. Uh, and it, it felt like I don't have hard numbers to support this, but it felt like a particularly busy offseason for the NFL and its teams and its players and its ex-players. There was a lot of big rulings, a lot of new lawsuits. Um, and like pretty uh, diverse, too. All different kinds yeah. of issues came up, too. It was a good good, good roundup you did there, Bill. So let's start with uh, the, the good old-fashioned subject of PEDs, performance-enhancing drugs. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> in July, the Second Circuit, the big appellate court here in New York, uh, yeah. shot down the final effort by Philadelphia Eagles lineman Lane Johnson to overturn a... 10 game uh, suspension for using PEDs. Um, Johnson was suspended in 2016. I don't know if you guys remember that. I do. It was... I know you do. This is your team. I was <laughs> I, I was going to say, I mean, do you feel comfortable reporting on this? Can you put aside <laughs> your biases inherent? Yeah. Do you want me to do a Philly accent while I do the rest of it? <clears throat> do the whole yes, thing please. like a WIP sports caller? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it, it sort of stunk. I mean, he was playing well. The Eagles didn't do well after that. Um, yeah. But anyway, um, after an arbitrator upheld the 2016 ban, uh, Johnson sued the NFL and the Players Association. He sort of sue, sue everybody, uh, yeah. challenging what he said was, quote, a bastardized arbitration process. Um, Even uh, NFL players don't love arbitration. Exactly. And, uh, well, and they especially don't love the deference that the court gives them when the uh, decisions uh, yeah. uh, don't go their way. But yeah. Totally. And um, but so there was a lot of litigation, years of litigation over this and various challenges, all of which amounted to Johnson saying, look, this process that it, how it went down. There was some stuff about how he wasn't given all the terms of what he was being subjected to and all this other stuff. But in July, the Second Circuit rejected the final arguments, saying that he had uh, come, quote, nowhere close to the high threshold needed to overturn the penalty. So even Lane Johnson has been uh, hit with the problem that we have talked about so many times about arbitration. I remember the uh, I remember the Lane Johnson thing just because after they won the Super Bowl and was it Jason Kelsey who like went on the like the the crazy rant about all the doubters and they said and he said Lane Johnson can't stay off the juice. That was yeah, really it was funny awesome. To me. It was great. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, what else have we got? Uh, I mentioned at the up top that the Chiefs are playing tonight. They're playing tonight because they won the Super Bowl in February. Some yeah. people will remember that. Uh, but I think their their true win in 2020 was a uh, a June ruling on tax law. 
This is yeah. This is a pretty amazing bit of, uh, bit of narrative flourish from you. I gotta say, when I was when I was reading it, I was like, absolutely, this is their hugest win of the year. So in June, the Missouri uh, State Supreme Court said that the team was not on the hook for nearly one million dollars in taxes related to a recent uh, stadium renovation of their Arrowhead Stadium. Uh, the, the state's Department of Revenue had assessed a $930,000 tax bill on uh, about $13.5 million in purchases that had been made uh, related to that, that uh, renovation. Uh, furniture for private suites, a scoreboard, televisions, uh, big long list. But the state's high court overturned that assessment, saying that it wasn't actually the chiefs themselves that had made these purchases. It was Jackson County, the uh, the county where the stadium exists, because of this complicated and somewhat controversial in the context of of sports stadiums. There were there were tax credits involved that the county had extended to the team. Yeah, uh, I mean, anytime. I mean, especially these days when when stadiums are just getting more and more exorbitantly expensive, like the the question of whether and to what extent the government rather than the rich men and women who own football teams are paying for it is always like at the center of the conversation when those deals, um, uh, you know, pop up and to have at least a portion of that question sort of squarely answered by a state's high court is certainly interesting. And the court directly, I think, Alex, to your point, sort of tried to hit on that 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 idea that, you know, that that this is a sort of a controversial subject. But, you know, yeah. that's not that's not us to decide. That's not on us to decide whether these tax credits should go out. The, the quote, while some may second guess the wisdom of enacting tax credit statutes or their use in sports stadium projects, the wisdom of such legislative policy is not relevant to this court's duty. Any complaints about the policy embodied in the tax credit statutes should be directed to the legislature. So these you know, guys they, read the newspaper. They know what's they, going on. They know that it, it it never it never seems great to have an extremely profitable mm-hmm. sports league being subsidized by broke uh, municipalities. It's it's yes. never it's never a great look. Um, so what else we got? Uh, well, I you know I think one sort of a, a a sadder part of NFL litigation, a reason why we've talked about it a few times previously on the show, is that um, we're often talking about injuries and concussions and. Um, so there was the big concussion case uh, over the years. Much of that has has since settled. Um, but the Ninth Circuit uh, last month in August revived a, a different separate lawsuit that claims that players were forced to take painkillers to get back on the field to um, uh, before they were fully healthy in order to maximize profits for ownership and, and the league. I was going to make a Varsity Blues reference, but now that's just confusing because that refers to a whole (laughs) other legal proceeding. Uh, But yes, uh, the idea of sort of just shoot, like, you know, whether it's through painkillers or through, you know, cortisone injections or whatever, that's been like uh, a part of the game's culture for a very long time. Yeah. And, um, uh, the 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 case was filed by by nine former players. It was filed as a proposed class action. Um, uh, some of the players were were on the um, uh, the famous Super Bowl winning nineteen eighty five Chicago Bears, which tells you how old some yeah. of these. Is that the Super Bowl shuffle? It, it is. is. That is indeed. I'm yes, told... I got a sports thing right. Great, <laughs> you did. I'm told <laughs> I watched that game at the tender age of three months old, and I enjoyed Aww. it. Uh, anyway, so that, and they anyway they got some they got some justice here. 
Yeah, well, they at least get a shot at justice. I mean, many of the sure, claims yeah. here have been axed away uh, throughout the litigation process. But the Ninth Circuit in this ruling last month said that the league might uh, they, they have to face claims, yeah. at least that they were um, legally negligent when they allowed teams to prescribe medications to, to do this and to return these players to play. So um, we will see how the case goes, but at least they are back in court. So I know um, we've talked about interesting stuff here, not going to knock it, but you're an IP guy. So there's got to be some IP stuff that you touched on in this story. Yeah. I mean, in any given year, there's a lot of intellectual property stuff for the NFL. Um, and um, so, I mean, the the uh, the charitable group that owns the rights to the terrible towel, the thing that, that Steelers fans wave... Um, uh, they sued a company that was selling COVID masks that uh, that that said "terrible mask" in the same yeah. font on the outside, written in the same coloring, and all that. Um, uh, Lamar Jackson, who is the reigning uh, NFL MVP, he sued Amazon for selling counterfeit merch. Uh, it was an interesting case because it didn't didn't say that there are random vendors on Amazon selling counterfeit stuff. It was that this was the part of Amazon's you know fulfilled by or like uh, you know sold by Amazon stuff and yeah. Yeah. even even that supply chain had been tainted with with counterfeits so um lots of interesting IP stuff and that's not even to go into all the uh the more granular little little trademark cases and all this kind of stuff uh yeah we're hitting we're hitting all the big uh all the big figures here we got the reigning Super Bowl champions we got the reigning MVP I wanted to add one not on your list this isn't really about a about a lawsuit the New York Giants hired a coach named Joe Judge very strange. Uh, we'll see how that well, goes. And we still have never gotten uh, former NFL uh, referee Ed Hockley to come on the show. He is oh a my God. It ain't for practicing lawyer. We've tried many times. Uh, Ed, if you're listening, which I assume you are, um, we're still we would still love to hear about your your time in the NFL and your time as an attorney. And we want to know what you're putting up on the bench uh, these days uh, on the uh, on the rack. Uh, but in any case. Um, uh, we also once talked about there was that there was that case that dealt with like Super Bowl beer ads and corn syrup and stuff like that. Yeah, I think uh, our, our last case will get us out of here on this one. But um, I, I, I would be remiss if I did not mention the corn syrup case. Um, in May, the Seventh Circuit ruled that Molson Coors couldn't sue Anheuser-Busch, sort of the two big beer giants in the country. Uh, they couldn't sue over Bud Light ads that mocked Miller Light and Coors Light for using corn syrup in the beer. Um, Molson Coors had claimed that the ads, which debuted during uh, Super Bowl 53, had violated federal false advertising laws. The company said that the beer, that the beers that they were selling didn't really have corn syrup in them, that they used it as this brewing yeah. agent and it burned up in the fermentation process. And since the the ads made made a listener think that, you know, corn syrup was being added in as some sort of sweetener, that this was false and misleading and yada, yada, yada. I remember I watched that game at producer Steve's house. And I remember when the when the commercial came on, I was like, oh, boy, here we go with this. It was like these they, these these guys aren't going to be happy about it this. was a direct it was a direct shot at. Right. Uh, and you remember that that months earlier. Bud Light had started rolling out packaging that said that they did not have corn syrup in it. Oh, yeah. And you were you yes. were sort of like, this is laying the groundwork for something. Yeah. Well, what? Well, and so where did where are we at on this? 
So there was about a year and a half of litigation, but in May, the Seventh Circuit ruled that Molson Coors had basically brought this on themselves when they listed, uh, Molson Coors had listed corn syrup as an ingredient. Basically, it is in the beer to a certain extent, whether you want to argue about whether or not it's added to the final product or whatever. It is or flavoring or whatever. Yeah. It is used to make their beer. Um, mm-hmm. And they, they were mostly just upset that Anheuser-Busch had called them on it. Um, yeah. In so many words, the court said that, that being upset about these ads is not a reason to sue. Quote, if Molson Coors does not like the sneering tone of Anheuser-Busch's ads, it can mock Bud Light in return. <laughs> Litigation should not be a substitute for competition in the market. I cannot wait for the Super Bowl ads we're in for in 2021. We liked in our show with something offbeat, and Alex, I think you've got something for us to talk about today. Well, yeah, it's a, we're, we're, we're going in a little bit of a different direction. I didn't have a great uh, sort of funny or odd news story for us to talk about, so I thought we could use this time to talk about uh, a film, uh, a motion picture that I watched on Netflix this week that's called Love Guaranteed. Uh, I it is, am so excited to talk about this. Well, it's one of these... It's one of these Algorithmic rom coms that Netflix yep. churns out. It's and a the sequel reason to Love Actually, about. correct? Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, it's Might in the. Uh, it's it's more like in the universe rather than uh, a direct sequel. But uh, no, I mean it involves um, it involves uh, the, the 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 central driving uh, uh, dramatic conceit is is a lawsuit, which is why we're talking about it. Amber, do you want to give the basics of the plot here? I know you watched. I it do. Well. I okay. watched it this weekend. Um, as did many people. I think it was trending on Netflix. Uh, so Rachel Lee Cook is our heroine. She's an attorney. She is approached by Damon Wayans Jr. to sue a dating website named Love Guaranteed because he, in fact, had not found love, and that guarantee was a sham. They had a they had a they had a, a statement on the website. It was like if you don't find love, I think they 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 stipulated a thousand dates. We yes. were just we were just talking about false advertising lawsuits. That's and, right. Uh, yeah. Here we are. Here we are indeed. Um, yeah. So uh, I got a lot to say about this movie. Well, um, I mean, Bill, you didn't see it, um, but even just with us setting this up for you, it's Rachel Lee Cook, it's Damon Wayans Jr. They're talking about how he didn't find love. I bet you can guess what happens. Okay, so I'm guessing that there's a lot of scenes of really complex litigation, a lot of discovery <laughs> scenes. Absolutely. Um, you I know, know surprisingly, that- there is discovery in this movie. Yeah, there actually, not yeah, wrong. actually, her doing discovery kind of drives is the like, bulk the- of the movie. Well, it drives like the middle act, basically. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it it will surprise no one if you don't want to be spoiled. Just skip it and watch it later. Come back to us. They happen to fall in love. Uh, you know, what? in the course of her. I know. I know. It's crazy. Okay. Totally insane. So- <laughs> so here's some great points that I'd like to bring up about this movie. Okay. Um, one, I have been known in my day to watch uh, some Hallmark holiday movies. Yeah. And um, this is not a holiday movie, but it's got such strong Hallmark movie vibes that I half expected someone to start putting up a Christmas tree. Like, it really <sighs> has that feeling of like... Uh-huh. Um, 
look at this female attorney whose life is so bad. She yeah, needs and to she's meet like a guy. A, it's yeah, got she's that like a sort of she's setup. like an idealistic plaintiff's attorney. She takes a lot, you know, she's you know, f- fighting for the little guy. Yeah, I have some notes, uh, honestly. Um, so, uh, it's. I mean, grading it on the rubric of these very disposable Netflix movies that sure. come out now, it's not terrible. Um, basically, these, these these movies live or die on the chemistry of the of the protagonists, and you know, Rachel Lee Cook and Damon Wayans Jr. are generally like pleasant enough people to hang out with. I, wouldn't I find say, him very charming, like individually. Well, I mean, did you? Did you I mean, you do you have beef with Rachel Lee Cook? What 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 the hell's that about? Wow! I don't know that I thought their <laughs> chemistry together was great, but I found him very no. I in the movie. well, that's that's what I was that's what I was getting to. I didn't. They kind of seemed like they like met like the day before the movie started, yeah, and maybe they did. Exactly. I maybe, I'm not saying that they're friends or something. It just didn't. You're you're supposed to conceal that and give us something to latch on to. Um, but yeah, I don't know. the 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 screenplay is like completely ridiculous. Like the the way that they contort like the 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 claims of this website and kind of reverse engineer it into a lawsuit is like not so great. Um, Heather Graham shows up. She runs the website. She's like the nice. executive. She's the uh, villain in the movie. Essentially, she's, yeah, she's the heavy. But um, th- th- there aren't a lot of heavies. Like it, like th- it, it only very briefly touches on them. Like maybe being in trouble. Like the, the would you say that the, the heavy is is really our litigious society? Maybe a little bit. No, I mean, because <laughs> the lawsuit brought them together. This is a pro attorney, pro mm, lawsuit movie. At definitely its core. good. Yeah, I mean. So I can't exactly say that I would recommend it on its like I can't say it's good. Um, I can say it's <laughs> decent under the like I said under the rubric of these kinds of movies. Um, there you go, I folks. You heard it here. Real... You heard it heard here first. <laughs> well, I like decent you, under with, the rubric with, of these movies. <laughs> well, without without credits, by the way, this movie is eighty five minutes long, and there is like a seven minute like montage of just her looking out the window being sad so like they really had to stretch to like even make it's like barely a movie if i'm being do you want a movie that has a hallmark feeling but is about attorneys and has a lawsuit as the climactic like it's in court is the climactic scene if that sounds appealing to you at all this one's one to check out i agree with you alex this is not cinema greatness but i think there's definitely room for this in the kinds of movies that are just like light fare to put on, you know, in one of these very long quarantine days. A slightly more ringing endorsement, but yeah, sure. Let's go with that. (laughs) Bill, you going to rush out and watch it? I think I'll wait till it comes out on videotape. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Alex, we've done our job. We've totally made Bill say he'll never see this movie. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, I don't know if we mentioned it. It is, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Thanks. Yeah, I don't know. Thanks for bringing that one to talk about, Alex. That was fun. Yeah, good. Thanks. And thanks for being with us, Bill. See you again next week, guys. We also want to thank our producers, Kelly Marcano and Stephen Trader, our graphic designer, Chris Yates, and our contributing reporters this week, Jeff Overly and Brian Dowling. Music for the show comes from Silent Partner and Kelly Marcano. If you like Pro Se, we'd love it if you left us a five-star and written review wherever you're listening that helps other people find our show. And if you want to read more about the things we talked about today, go to our website, law360.com slash podcast. Thanks, and join us back here next week.